What are their names? <laughs> are we really doing? Oh my gosh! I know. Now, I'm not. I'm not gonna name us. I mean, it's, we have 14 kids. Hi, I'm Joshua David Stein, host of the Fatherly Podcast. Today, I welcome to the studio fun-loving, ball-hawking New York sports institution Antonio Cromartie. Besides his career with the New York Jets, you probably know Cromartie as a father of 14 children. And from this super viral clip of him struggling to name them. We got Alonzo, I have uh, Karis, who is three. I have my, my junior, which is three. I have a, my daughter, who just turned. Four of Cromartie's kids were born after he had a vasectomy, which is impressive. His sperm has a completion rate higher than any quarterback the Jets have fielded in the last decade. Now that his NFL career is winding down, Cromartie's making the transition to being a full-time stay-at-home dad slash reality TV star on The Cromarties, a show on USA about making the transition to become a full-time stay-at-home dad slash reality TV star. I don't watch that much reality TV, but The Cromarties are a really fun family to watch. There's Terika Carson, his ball-busting wife, herself a veteran of reality television, and their kids, Jersey, Jagger, Jinx, J'adore, and last summer, a baby named Jet. Antonio is a fun guy. Anyone who lives in the tri-state area knows that. But he's also very honest and open about his own struggles as a father, his relationship with his father, and about bringing the cameras into his home. But of course, yeah, I did ask him to name his kids. Because YouTube. Later on in the episode, I welcome to the studio our science editor, Josh Krish, to talk about the science of vasectomies, what happens when they go wrong, and what's with those little tufts of smoke? Come on, all those dads out there who had a V, you know what I'm talking about. I don't think anyone calls it a V, but you do know what I'm talking about. Anyway, stay tuned. Welcome to the Fiery Podcast. My name is Joshua David Stein. I hope you enjoy the show. One of the things that has really stuck out in my mind about what I've read about you recently is when you left the Colts, you knelt. You have had a tremendous career. You knelt and were cut loose from the Colts. Can you tell me about your decision to kneel and also from the standpoint of having kids who look up at you? When we take a stand, it's for something that we truly believe in. And that's something that was deep in my heart, not just because as me being an African-American, but also giving the, uh, other people that don't have a voice a voice. You know, I think it was Tamar Rice who uh, was playing with a toy gun and an officer pulled up and, and shot him. You know, it's just like any kid could be outside playing cops and robbers with their friends and a police officer can pull up on them and say he feared for his life because he was playing with a toy gun. I have uh, six boys. And, you know, that could have been any one of my uh, boys that was that could have been uh, shot by a police officer. Or daughter. Or daughters. Were you disappointed in how the cults in particular, but generally ownership, responded to protests like that? I was disappointed from a standpoint of they fight so hard to with all these lawmakers about stadiums and getting new facilities But when there's something going on in the black community, when guys come to them, why can't they put that same effort in putting those guys in front of the lawmakers and figure out what we can do to uh, make a change in those communities? There's an Indianapolis Colts quote, which was like, they're entertainers. And it's like, no, I mean, to some degree, they're entertainers, but that's such a dangerous 
dismissive, historically harmful way to look at black people as entertainers. Yeah. You know? So it's, 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 to me, it was, you know, you say that we're entertainers. Yes, it's entertaining. We love, we love what we do. We love our job. We love that we can bring smile to kids' faces and uh, be, uh, try to be the role model that, you know, we didn't ask for it to be, but we, you know, we have to be. To sit here and have uh, Mr. Ursay uh, say that, you know, everyone here, when the lights turn on, we're here to entertain. But I'm just like, at the end of the day, we still are fighting against a system as African-American man that's not built for us, that's not built for uh, our community. If we don't stand for something, then, you know, we get looked at a certain way from our community. So why you're not doing this? Why you're not doing that? Why you're not speaking up uh, for our community or for your community that you was born and raised in? And you get looked at as a as a person that's, that's not there for your community. Well, one of the side effects of being a free agent is a little television show called The Cromarties about <laughs> your not very small uh, family. What I like is you, uh, your wife is in the studio. Hi. Um, <laughs> Of course, it's reality television, but you guys seem to have such a playful and loving relationship where clearly there's some things like all married couples have issues, shopping, budgets, (laughs) chores, discipline. Everyday life, everyday marriage life. But generally, it seems like you approach them, you approach it with good spirit. There's good vibes going on in that house. We, as a married couple, you run into problems, you run into situations where you may have a disagreement, but I think the biggest thing is to figure out a way to make sure that those disagreements don't happen or uh, you got to make light of certain situations. Just, I mean, marriage is all about still staying in that honeymoon stage as long as possible. Yeah. And I think you guys have uh, been married for nine years, nine years, still a honeymoon. Nine years. It's, it's, it's actually got, it's better than our honeymoon now. <laughs> <laughs> we're having fun. Yeah. And we're starting to just live our life through our kids. You know, our kids are outgoing. They're always smiling and it makes the house a lot warmer. Yeah. You know, when you have your kids just running around. I have a question about whether it was uneasy or an easy decision or how it's affected you to have your family be part of this actually is legitimate entertainment in the sense that it is also your life, but because it's reality television, there's a whole aspect of producing, producing production guidance. Like, was it your decision? You really wanted to mow the lawn that day, and like you know, like there's like a <laughs> well, lot of. Well, you know what? Honestly, I've always been wanting to mow our lawn to do it. <laughs> to me, I you know saving money. Yeah. <laughs> and then you know our whole thing is like we always try to make sure that if we tell our kids we're gonna do something like our chores or we gonna we gonna you know we 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 can't enforce something with our kids and then we don't enforce ourselves to yeah. do it. For us that's like, you know, uh what what we call it to um uh, well we don't do something <laughs> and we tell our kids to do it. So it's hypocrisy. like a hip, yeah, hypocrisy. So um it's just a point of just doing what we're supposed to do. Did you have any worries about using your home as a place for you know, like opening it up to the public? I think we was more so um me and Terica, we was more so worried about the kids. Uh, for us, I'm mean, gonna think we're fine, but I think for the kids, being on television and putting your kids in the spotlight is trying to look at it a certain way. And you know, how did you explain it to them? Well, I, I didn't. Uh, Terika <laughs> did. She she explained it to them that we was gonna be on TV and 
um, that, you know, just be yourself. Don't worry about what the, where the cameras are. Just always be yourself. And, you know, once those cameras came into the house, they was their self and then some. Kids are very aware of cameras and aware of the dynamic. Do you feel like it emphasized some parts of their personality or it showed you something about your kids? Well, honestly, I thought it brought out more of their personality, yeah. uh, just being on a camera. For them, it's just they were still being their self, but everyone now gets to really see their personality. Like, everyone's right now loves Jagger because he's the outgoing, the funny kid. And, you know, Jersey, she's like the bossy. Jersey's the one that orders sushi. No, that's Jordan. Jordan orders Jordan, sushi. That's our oldest. Yeah. Basically, she's the, the bigger boss of the other kids. Yeah. <laughs> but she's our babysitter <laughs> when we need it. And, I mean, she's a, she's a great kid. All our kids are great, to be honest with you. The Fatherly Podcast is brought to you by Cheese Dippers by The Laughing Cow. Every kid's got an imagination all their own. Whether they're racing monster trucks, playing teacher, or dreaming of setting foot on Mars, even the wildest imaginations are hungry for more. Feed your kid's appetite for adventure with Cheese Dippers by The Laughing Cow. With perfectly crunchy breadsticks and creamy cheese, it's a crunchable, dippable, enjoy-however-you-wantable snack that's always a favorite. Plus, it's made to go anywhere their imagination takes them. Cheese Dippers by The Laughing Cow. Snack like you. And now back to the show. So you have 14 children. How many participate in the show? Or just uh, the six that's in the house. Are you in contact with your other children? Yes, I am. I'm in contact with them. I mean, the only reason they're not on the show um, for the first season is, one, it was scheduling, and then some of the moms didn't want uh, the, the kids on the show. So hopefully we get a season two. You get to see more of the kids that's not in the house. I've never spoken to someone with 14 kids before. <laughs> you have 14 kids and different relationships with their mothers, different relationships with them, and over a long span of time. How do you, as a father, balance those different relationships? It's hard, especially when my kids was younger. It was harder. Uh, but now as they get older... That relationship, honestly, just goes through the kids. We try to make sure we keep an open line of communication with the, with the moms. Co-parenting is something that we're still learning as we're still going. It's something that everyone is learning, but it's, it's gotten better over the years. When your kid's older, you can have a direct line, and it's less. at the same time, it's hard at that point because there's already these dynamics that are like baked in with how they feel about you and how often you see them. It's a really tough it's it's tough uh it's tough especially playing football it it was tough uh moving from city to city or being into the season and not being able to uh, spend as much time with them as you would like um but i i think now it's the time for me to take advantage of the time that i have off uh, from football and spend as much time with them as as much as they want to spend time with uh, us at the house. How do you build that sort of community in your house between the six children that you share now and the eight from other relationships? They talk. They talk on the phone. Or we have visitation with them during the summer, and that's the way we have to make sure that they know who their siblings are. I mean, they all know who they are, and they get a chance to speak to them on, on birthdays and over, on sometimes on the weekends and stuff like that. So the technology these days is easy to 
get someone on FaceTime now to or get on Skype and be able to talk. How old is your oldest? 13. And your youngest is? Three months. You're also, um, you had the longest play in NFL, NFL history. history yes. I feel like those two things are strangely like it's 109 yards, right? 13 and three months. That's, it is a yeah, long way. Like, <laughs> you're good at big spreads. <laughs> One of the things that also occurred to me watching this show about your upbringing being vastly different than the upbringing that your kids are having. Yes. You grew up in uh, Tallahassee. Tallahassee, Florida. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my upbringing was single parent home with my mom. I moved around a lot. I'm thinking I moved 11 times. I went to 14 different schools or something like that. Why did you move so much? Just, just cost of living. Yeah. Um, what did your mom do? She worked two jobs. She was a phone operator at one place, and I forgot what the second job was. She did her best. Like for me, I moved out when I was 14, 15 years old. I moved with my godmother. And my mom signed over her rights to her so I can go to school over there in that section where where she was. Because I went to private school mm-hmm. uh, for two years, and I basically paid my way through doing stuff on the streets. Me and my dad, we didn't have a great relationship, but now, I mean, our relationship is uh, a lot better than it was. Yeah. And that's, to me, that's, that's big. I wish that relationship was like this when I was younger, but... It didn't flourish well early on in my childhood. So it probably started coming together within the last three, four years. The wife made it happen. She just like, you just need to talk to him. Like, get get it off your chest, talk to him, and really found out a lot of stuff that was going on wasn't true. That you had thought. That I was told. Yeah. And it kind of like opened up an open line of communication where we can actually have a a full man-to-man conversation. Something I've never really had for him because I've never really talked to him. It's true that when you're a kid, I'm a ki- child of divorce too, when you're a child, the person who's taking care of you is oftentimes very hurt by your father. And, and so as a kid, you're taken, you take in that information, you take in those stories, and you're just a kid. Not to say that they're not true. But- I mean, especially when you're with that person 24-7 and you may only get to see your father maybe once or twice a month. Yeah. So, you, yeah, you're taking a lot of information. But, you know, we had a chance to sit down and talk, and we have a better relationship. Yeah. And tell him how I feel. You know, he listens. So, I mean, that's I think that's the biggest part is, you know, you have somebody that, that listens to you and don't try to tell you what you need to try to do. He yeah. just listens. So you didn't grow up with a lot of money. No. But you've made so much money. <laughs> I don't think I've <laughs> talked to anyone who's made as much money as you have in my life playing football. When did you realize, like, oh, shit, I'm rich? <laughs> uh, when I got my first check. <laughs> yeah. But I was so pissed when I got my first check because... Um, Who was that with? With the Chargers. Yeah. I got my first check. It was a signing bonus. And I'm like... I called the financial advisor that I had then. I'm just like, dude, like, they just took, like, $300,000 out of my check. Like, what's going on? Like, why is all this money being taken out of my check? Like, And it's like, welcome to the highest tax bracket. Yeah, it was it was crazy. Um, but it was not a point in knowing that I'm rich, but I knew I had the means to get anything that I wanted. Yeah. So it was just like, okay. You really never had a car go buy a car. Yeah. It must have been a relief. It was a relief, but at the same time, it was hardship, too. 
dealing with family members and none of us really came from money and me being who I was, open, you know, having a good heart and not realizing what's really what's really going on. Um it kind of it kind of put me in hardship, not only me but I mean family too. Yeah. It was hard. How has your relationship with money in that sense changed? It's changed a lot. Honestly, it changed once I got married. <laughs> yeah. And in a way, it made a lot of people mad and pissed off. What do you mean it? What made people mad and pissed Not off? being able to have access to the money like they had before. Once I got married, and it took a while still to understand what my wife was actually trying to do. It wasn't about saying that you couldn't do anything. It was like saying, hey, you know what? Right now, we can't do it. We have other stuff that we got to try to do. It's not about having the money now. You want to have it after you're done playing. You don't want to never have to really have to work again if you don't want to. Right. You know, that's what my wife was trying to build. It's like, oh, you know, I'm going to be playing football forever. Like, it's cool. <laughs> like, you know, and now, now I'm not playing. It's like. Damn, that's what she was talking about. Yeah, you know, and so it, it's eye-opening. Took me a while to like understand. Like, it's not always gonna be here. You're not always gonna play football. You're not always gonna make this kind of money. I feel like a lot of players don't have wives who are that financially astute, or even a financial advisor who has their best interests in heart. Yeah, I've I've lost a lot of money with previous financial advisors. I've lost a lot of money. Do you wish there was something someone had told you when you joined the league or advice or even that ownership or management you know, gave you some No, I just wish that I surrounded myself with better people. That's from an agent, that's from marketing, that's from financial, that's even just being in school and understanding, like, hey, you know what, you're going to play. If you're going to play and be in the NFL, you need to try to understand this more. Like, for me, I was a loner, like, in college. Like, I didn't really, I was to myself. Even me staying home, I was to myself. I stayed home to go to college. And I think for me, staying home was the worst thing I ever did because I didn't grow. Yeah, I should have left to go to school because I had everything I wanted right there. So all everything I was used to. You didn't need to stretch. I didn't need to stretch. So if I needed something, it was always there. My grandmother was there. My godmother was there. My mom, um, my dad helped out here and there. I, I never got uncomfortable. That put me in some deep water doing that. The same people that I grew up with were still in the same place, and that's who I hung around with. I didn't, I didn't grow. You didn't force a change. Yeah, I didn't force a change. How do you feel? And you know, now you're you're so fully present in the lives of your six children, and you have other children who you weren't so present in their lives. When you look back at the kids that you weren't as present in their lives, how do you relate to that? How do you how do you feel? Um, a little sadness, but like I I think I always try to look on the bright side of everything. Like a lot of a lot of stuff that we as fathers are that's not in the home that we miss. You can't get that back. The biggest thing that you can do now is focus on what you can build now as a father. As it's all about trying to build as much as possible now, uh, because you can't you can't get none of that stuff back. Yeah, you can't go back and fix it um, anymore. No. Season two. <laughs> Season two. Hopefully, is more kids. No. <laughs> No more babies. Um, when did you had a vasectomy? Yes, I also had a vasectomy, but your vasectomy didn't work. Hey, I'm part of the one percent. God, <laughs> yeah, you really are. You really are part I'm of the one percent. 
What made you want to get a vasectomy? Honestly, we were we were done. Um, we had uh, Jagger, and we were just like, okay, we you know we have we have our family. We are we we're good to go. I had my vasectomy five what, five years ago. Yeah. Well, I, I will actually, have to say six, the six thing I hated ago. about the vasectomy was a little bits of smoke. That was the worst. <laughs> oh, man. Literally the not, fucking worst. You're not lying. Oh, man. It's like, what is going on when we see the little cloud of smoke? Don't look down. Don't look down. <laughs> but like I always say, the biggest thing for me is like understanding like God wasn't finished. <laughs> yeah. There needed to be more Cromartys in this world. And, you know, we've been blessed with twins, Jinx and Jador. And also, we just had a, a three-month-old jet. So, like, those kids are just simply amazing and yeah like i said with jet she wakes up with a smile she greets you with a smile she goes to bed with a smile so it's like you know that don't do nothing but warm your heart do you want to do the fatherly questionnaire all right i'm ready how old are your children 13 they go from 13 to three months what are their names <laughs> are we really doing oh my gosh i know now i'm not i'm not gonna name us i mean it's, we have 14 kids i'm gonna name as many as I can, just for the record, and then you can... Uh, go ahead. Tyler J., uh, Jersey, Karis, Lalani, Julian, Jagger, Antonio, Camardi Jr., Deja, Alonzo, London. And then there's four more, which Wikipedia doesn't have. <laughs> <laughs> that's Jordan, the twins, that's Jinx and Jador, and Jet. Tell me about your naming process. It wasn't my naming process. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the wife naming process um, she wanted to stay in the J's the next question is are your kids named after anyone in particular you can take any subsection of your kids that you want the boys they all have my name my middle name which is well not my middle name but my first name so right. Jagger Jagger name is Jagger Bo Antonio Cromartie okay and then you have Jinx is Jinx Revel Antonio Cromartie so like their names are added into Mines. I think with Jordan, Jordan was named after Michael Jordan. Do you have any cute nicknames for your children? <laughs> you can just free form associate if you have. Jersey is Stinklebutt. <laughs> uh, Jador, we call her Tink Tink. Uh, Jagger is Papa. Uh, Jordan, don't really, we don't have. Her name is just Jordy. Uh, Jinx is uh, Deuce. And right now, we're fluctuating with nicknames. <laughs> right now, with Jet, we have <laughs> Pooh Bear and we have, uh, what, I, what I call her? Tutu. Tutu? Yeah. She I don't like, like Tutu, but she likes Pooh Bear. <laughs> well, nicknames grow as a, as a kid grows. <laughs> um, what do they call you? Crow. Dad or Crow? Well, they call me Dad, but my nickname around the house is Crow. Yeah, they they call me that when they when they really want something. <laughs> they be like crow, or if I'm ignoring them, they be like crow. I be like you know that catches your attention when your kids call you crow. Yeah. How often do you see them? Kids in the house. I mean, that's, of course, that's every day. And I also have summer visitation uh, with some of my kids, alternate for holidays too. Right. So we have odd and even years. It's a lot to keep track of. I feel like there's got to be an Excel spreadsheet or No, something. it's not. It's not hard to keep track of. We we know the years and we know if we got all the even years and it makes it it makes it easier. Plus it's like, I mean, the kids are getting older, so they just be like, "You know what? That can we come to your house?" When you have a family that's complicated and 
people in different places, it's easy to feel sadness about I'm not around my kids or they're not around me. But then you realize that as everyone grows, the family also changes, that it can in a couple of years, it'll be different. Like you said, you can't go back in the past. But as as kids get older, they can develop their own relationships with you. Yes. Like you did with your dad, you can rebuild something definitely or build it maybe even for the first time yeah describe yourself as a father in three words loving uh, loving and caring counts as one i mean there are two if you want to um i would gently suggest you go with one or the other (laughs) i would say loving very hands-on and um I, i would say i'm a little i'm a little strict with our kids I have a very like military backgroundish, like, yeah. kind of strictish. Well, you've been training at an extremely high level for like most of your life. Mm-hmm. I feel like strictness is a part of that. Yeah, I just, you gotta have a routine. Yeah. Describe your father as a father in three words. From us just talking and having a true breakthrough, loving. He's open to communication. He wants the best for uh for me and my my other siblings doesn't want anything just wants the best and and that's what i appreciate about him the most yeah and you had said earlier about when you came into the league it was hard for you to figure out what all of a sudden it's like well what do you want from me do you want to be my family do you or friends well i say that because like the day that i got drafted my dad was there he was like look son i don't want anything from you at all it's just like just be aware of other people using you and i never really took that in your dad said that Mm -hmm. at that point in time like me and him we didn't have the best relationship so like him giving me advice i was just like maybe like whatever but listening to him now and i mean understanding what he meant by that i really wish i would have took that into consideration 11 years ago. What are your strengths as a father? My, my strictness. <laughs> uh, I would say my strictness because it, just, it keeps the kids on the schedule. They understand what, what I expect of them. What are your weaknesses as a father? Probably pick one. That's probably like just communication with everybody. That's from the wife. That's with, uh, that's with everybody. I think that's my, my biggest weakness is just communication. Having trouble communicating. Having trouble to communicate or get stuff out like how I want to get it out or uh, being able just to say what I want to say. Relatedly, what is your biggest regret as a father? I don't, I don't have a regret as a father. Like, my situations is my situations. I don't really have anything I want to regret because all my kids are blessings and everything is everything is going maybe not as family planned as it's supposed to, but... I don't agree anything as being a father. What is your favorite activity to do with your kids? That is your special father and kids thing. Girls is going to uh, <laughs> going to get pedicures. <laughs> when you take your little girls to the to the pedicure and like you're looking at them, and it's like man, like oh, they're growing up. Like all right, I got to start getting ready for these boys to start <laughs> coming in. You get a pedicure too. Yeah. I, I, I have to. <laughs> um, so, Antonio, my, tell my, me about your foot care regime. <laughs> man, my my kids, man, they talk about my feet all the time. So I, I have to stay <laughs> going to pedicure. But with my, with my sons, it's just like being able to take them to the movies. They love that. 
being able to have them in the same element I'm in of working out. And your daughter works out too. Yeah, she works out too. She's she's a, she's a beast. Yeah, she and she loves it. She uh, she loves to burn. That's what she tells us. What has been the moment you've been most proud of as a parent, and why? Our daughter Jordan. She brought home like her all. She had all bees on her report card, and like we we've been pushing her to make sure she keeps her grades. She's very smart. Gymnastics takes up a lot of her time, takes up 20 hours a week. So she comes home 8, 9 o'clock at night, and, you know, she's exhausted from that, but she has to do her work. So, like, we told her, like, hey, you know, keep your grades up. You know, we won't be so hard on it. And, like, her bringing it home is, like, she come home and she does this to me. Boom, what you got to say about this? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, on a roll? You know, that's because that's she's worked so hard for it. Like, yeah. And just I see that just made me, it made me feel like, oh, butterflies, like, you know, have a little butterflies for the game. What heirloom has your father given to you, if any? Just saying, look, I don't want anything from you. I just want you to make sure you have everything. That's, you know, and watch out for the people that's close to you. What heirloom do you want to leave your children, if anything? Just the work ethic. Just with everything in life, you have to make sure you work and nothing is just given to you. Describe the dad special for dinner. Oh, the dad special? I have a uh, baked ziti. <laughs> Everybody loves when I make baked ziti. I'm Crow's baked about ziti? Crow's baked ziti. I can make two trays and it's done in like two days. <laughs> <laughs> What's and the it's, secret? It's, I mean, it, the secret, I can't tell nobody the secret. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's something is, that's, that's very special. The baked ziti is great. And the other meal is maple glazed salmon. Everyone in the house loves the maple glazed salmon. <laughs> are you religious and are you raising your children in that tradition? I am religious and that's something that me and my wife are raising our kids as we try to teach them to pray and we sit down to pray. What religion? Non-dominational, but it's more so Christianity. What is a mistake you made growing up that you want to ensure your children don't repeat? Don't let people take your kindness for a weakness. What you have is yours. Don't let other people around you dictate where things are supposed to go. Besides saying it, how do you make sure your children know that you love them? I think it's just by spending time with them. Spending time doing the things that they like. Um, Pedicures. Pedicures or Jagger. We want to play with swords and play baseball. It's just little stuff like that or jerseys, working out. Jordan, her her biggest thing is doing the, um, what's the stuff called? The glue stuff. She likes art. She's she's very creative. She's basically an artiste. Just appreciating their, what they do. I mean, I think that's the way you continue to show love without just saying you love them. Well, Antonio, thank you so much for joining us today. All right, thank you. Well, I just had a great conversation with Antonio Cromarty, a man who had many kids, had a vasectomy, and had many more. And now I'm joined with Josh Krish, our science correspondent. Hi, Joshua. Hi, how are you doing? Pretty good. How are you? Good. Mazel tov on the new baby. Ah, uh, thanks. You can tell I didn't have a vasectomy. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> well, That's we'll the find point. Out. That's what I want to talk to you about. We'll find out with the next one, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> Josh, <laughs> obviously it's uncommon that Antonio Cromarty had a vasectomy and then had four kids after that. I have had a vasectomy and have had no kids after that, but still I'm a little fuzzy on what the procedure actually is, what the rates of failure are, and that kind of thing. So I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about 
really what a vasectomy is, but then also what went wrong here? Sure. Well, we don't know what went wrong here. We don't have Cromartie's medical records in front of us, so it's impossible to know exactly why the vasectomy didn't work. But as far as all vasectomies go, the word vasectomy, ectomy means to cut something away. The vas is the vas deferens. That's the area that the sperm travels through, a tube the sperm travels through inside the semen in order to impregnate when you're having sex. Man, that sounds clinical. But in addition to that, there is vas deferens involved. And a vasectomy cuts that vas. It's a surgical procedure that severs and seals the vas deferens so that men can ejaculate normally. You still have semen. But in that semen, there's either no sperm or non-viable sperm or not enough sperm to impregnate somebody. Just a bunch of losers. <laughs> I, guess, I guess that's how some might put it. Okay, fine. That's if it goes well. But for Antonio... Not clear what happened. I mean, vasectomies only fail about 0.25% of the time. And the reasons why they fail, there's a couple different things that can go wrong. The most common thing that goes wrong certainly isn't what happened to Cromartie. And that is, a lot of times, men don't follow up with their doctors like they're supposed to. Which is not the vasectomy going wrong. It's just dudes not following directions. Right. It's not the same thing as a bad surgery. The doctors did their jobs fine. They did a nice clean cut. But what happens is sometimes sperm continues living on in the vas. So the sperm's there. And that's why doctors say that about three, four months after you've had your vasectomy, you have to come back into the office, get a semen analysis, and they're going to tell you whether there's any sperm left in there that might impregnate somebody. Yeah, I just have to say, having been someone who went through this, you don't do it at your doctor's office. You do it from some creepy building in Midtown, which, which is amazing <laughs> to me that it has no Wi-Fi. And it's like, why would you not have Wi-Fi the one place you need it? But anyway, go on. In any case, <laughs> <laughs> what they look for is either two clean samples that don't have any sperm at all in the ejaculate so now you just have semen and no sperm, or they'll also give you the green light to have unprotected sex if you have one sample with less than 10,000 immotile sperm, that means sperm that don't move very well or don't move at all, and one with no sperm at all. Bottom line, what you want is semen that doesn't have sperm that can actually do anything. The problem is most men don't bother going in for this second round of testing. And you have some, like devastating numbers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mark Goldstein, who's over at the Center for Male Reproductive Medicine at Cornell, says only about 75% of men go for semen analysis. That means one in four don't. There are some studies I've seen that suggest the number is closer to 50%, something like half the guys who get vasectomies, who take the time to have their yeah. vas cut, don't take the time to make sure the cut was clean. Yeah. It's so crazy to me. That's like buying Apple Care and then not sending in your product registration. Like I don't You've already done it. the thing. You know? Also, this is the this is the pleasurable part of the vasectomy experience. Like guys volunteer to have their vast burnt off. There's like smoke coming out of their genitals. There and when is. they say come back and masturbate for us quick, they're like, sorry, I'm busy. Yeah. I've never I've never quite understood why men don't go back. Um, well, there was no Wi-Fi. <laughs> anyway, why isn't that what happened with Cromartie? We know it's not what happened with Cromartie for at least two of his kids. The first time they got pregnant post-vasectomy, I understand it was twins. Yeah. It could have been that that's what happened there. He didn't go back. He had kids. But by the time he was ready to have another kid after that, all sperm would have been cleared from the vas. Sperm will not live in the vas for years after a vasectomy if the vasectomy was done properly. Even if that is how his wife got pregnant the first time, it does not explain how she got pregnant the next two times. Well, what might? It's possible that Cromartie played by the rules, and he went back to his doctor like he was supposed to, but his vest did not play by the rules. There are there are he's tricky. Super, he's got super sperm. Super sperm. I think there's some articles that called it that. 
Yeah, I called it sly sperm when I wrote about it. Sly sperm. In any case, there's a condition called... I don't know. They're clever. There's a condition... You'll hear they're quite clever. There's a condition called recanalization. Recanalization happens all over the body. It's when channels that are, for whatever reason, closed off, reopen spontaneously. Our bodies are very good at repairing themselves, and sometimes they repair themselves in ways that you don't necessarily appreciate. Here's one way that it might happen. There is now a gap between two parts of the vas, right? In a vasectomy, there's a gap. And the idea is that sperm can't bridge that gap and ejaculate with the ejaculate. So the sperm remains stuck behind, and they get reabsorbed by the body. No, go on without me. Something like that. I, I imagine that, that, that actually, that right there was a sound clip from JDS's actual vas. <laughs> <laughs> what have you done? <laughs> Anyway, sometimes spare sperm leak from the surgical site into the body, and that sets off an inflammatory response in the body. When the body notices foreign bodies in it, one of its main strategies for containing them is to put them in little balls of tissue. You might have heard that some men after they get their vasectomies, a good number of men after they get vasectomies, develop small growths around their testicles, little balls that are called granulomas. These are little balls of tissue, and what they basically are is exactly that. A little bit of sperm got out. The body said, oh my God, sperm is where it doesn't belong, and it encircled it in little bits of tissue, so you get these tiny granulomas. It's like the great escape. (laughs) That's that's funny. That's not how my sources put it. (laughs) In any case, some of these granulomas can actually leak sperm and fuse with the part of the vas that connects to the outside. So what they do is they kind of connect to the piece of the vas that you don't want them on, deposit their sperm there, and now you have sperm back in the vas. As you can imagine, this this is quite rare. Another way that it happens is purely from poor surgical technique. Sometimes there's a lot of scarring after the cut, and the scarring can actually create these small channels that we call micro-channels between the two parts of the vas, sort of creating a little pathway back for some sperm to get from one end of the vas to the other, even though there's a gap between them. Not saying that all doctors who cost a lot of money are great doctors, but Cromartie made millions and millions and millions of dollars. I'm sure he can afford a good urologist. I'm sure, but that doesn't mean that urologists aren't human. Every now and then a urologist is going to not make a perfect cut, or a urologist is going to do a fine job, and for whatever other reason there's some scarring. Scar tissue happens, and when scar tissue happens in these rare cases, you again get another form of recanalization. So these two kinds of recanalization can make a vas, for all intents and purposes, back together. Right. The problem is it, it really doesn't happen. It, it's one in 4,000. I think, I think Cromartie told... One in 4,000? One in 4,000. So I think Cromartie told you that he considers himself the 1%, right? Yeah. He's really not the 1% in this regard. If he recanalized, he's the 0.25%. That's a... It happens. Look, for one in 4,000 people, this is a reality, but it's certainly not likely. There's another possibility. There is. Well, we've gone through the possibility that Cromartie didn't play by the rules. He didn't go back to his doctor when he was supposed to. We went through the possibility that Cromartie's vast didn't play by the rules. It recanalized, even though he didn't want it to. There's the possibility that Cromartie's wife didn't play by the rules. The truth is, we know for a fact that the first thing we discussed didn't happen. That it's not that he just didn't go back to his doctor in time, because that doesn't explain his other two kids. We know recanalization is incredibly rare. So that means that odds are he has from his doctor, before he was allowed to go back and have sex with his wife again a statement, a document saying that he has no viable sperm. If you have a document in your hand that says you have no viable sperm and no particular reason to suspect recanalization, you've got to start suspecting the person who claims that this is your child. It's like, I, uh, release the memo. I spoke to a urologist who, for perhaps obvious reasons, wanted to remain anonymous, who said to me that he's pretty darn sure that this is not Cromartie's kid. 
Well, the one thing I will say to end this is, you know, it is very rare. Maybe he's part of the, what is it, 0.025%? Yeah, he totally could be. Yeah. But here's a guy who returned a field goal attempt for a touchdown, 109 yards, the entire length of a football field, dodging countless defenders. He might just be a lucky guy. Absolutely. I think he told you that he considers it sort of an act of God. It it certainly would have to be, but why not, right? (laughs) Why not? Why not? Well, thank you, Josh, for joining and speculating about Antonio Cromartie's sperm. (laughs) Thanks. It was a pleasure. (laughs) Well, that's our show. Thanks for listening to The Fatherly Podcast. Today's show was executive produced by Sandy Smallins. Dave Savage was our engineer. Our theme music is by Kyle Forrester, with some help by Augie Heerenstein. Make sure you tune in next week when I'll be speaking with legendary surfer and father of three, Laird Hamilton. I'm your host, Joshua David Stein, and I think that's it for me. Okay, can you say if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you subscribe on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts? Boo, 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 boo,